Hello and welcome back to the Create Magic Podcast. This is another installment of the Creative Weirdo segment where I talk to creatives and weirdos about creative and weird stuff. Today I have a really fun one for y'all that is a slightly different uh, conversation than the ones we're usually having around here. But really I'm I'm so happy I got to have it. It's with my friend Servo who is a just wonderful person. He's been running a record label since he was like 14 years old and booking DIY shows and just kind of living in that world and we talk a lot about how that's going these days and just how uh, media consumption has changed and the how that impacts you know the overall landscape of things so we definitely get into some topics that you're used to hearing here but also have a lot of fun just kind of catching up and talking about his record label bloated cat and he also uh, uses AI to write a pop punk song about being on this podcast so enjoy that go check out all of servo stuff linked below and have the best day i'll talk to you tomorrow bye I do intros and all that after all of this, but thanks for being here, Servo. Hey, I talk to you. Yeah, uh, you were just saying that you started booking shows when you were fourteen, which was uh, a, a lot a long time ago. What made you start booking shows? Like, what did you? What was the first thing that you were like? I got to do that. Uh, well, I grew up in uh, I grew up just outside of Des Moines, Iowa. And in the late 90s, uh, Des Moines, Iowa was a uh, Screamo town, USA. Just Screamo <laughs> was huge there. Uh, and as a result, like the shows, like, like the first show I ever went to was uh, Combat Wounded Veteran with Reversal of Man, wow. uh, which would have been, which was a great first show. And like that music was fine, but I was like more into like pop punk bands, really. And there was no one like every once in a while, like, a pop punk band like Good Riddance or AFI would come play like the shitty like punk club in Des Moines. But like there was no one really bringing smaller bands in or doing like DIY style shows for that stuff the way there was people doing it for the screamo bands. So I just was like, well, if these people can do this because they were high schoolers, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was like, I can do it, too. And that's awesome. I just did it. Um, <laughs> do you remember the first show you booked? Uh, yeah, the first show I booked was a band from New Jersey called Lane Meyer. Okay. Uh, a, a band from Ohio called Saturday Supercade. Uh, and then the one pop punk band in Iowa at the time, Safety Second, half of whom are now making a good career in modern life is war. Uh, <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and then uh, some screamo bands jumped on it too. <laughs> So, of course, of course, yeah. that makes a lot of sense. And was that it? Like, were you just uh, into the booking and uh, putting on DIY shows life at that point? I guess. I mean, I remember. I remember as a kid, it was like just this insanely stressful thing, and I'd like always like day of the show have the worst anxiety about it. For like that, probably went on until I was in college. Yeah. Uh, after I'd booked like. 40 shows and all of them had like gone fine. Even when they didn't, I was finally able to like, Oh yeah, this is, 
this is cool this is fine uh but no i just i made the mistake of i don't even think i submitted it but somehow my contact information got into uh this publication the old zine maximum rock and roll used to do called book your own fucking life and it was just like pre-internet physical like phone book of fucking people booking shows in the United States. And I got in, like I was in there and my fucking parents' phone number was in there. So, uh, I started getting all these calls and I didn't like say yes to everything, but there were some things where it was like, Oh, okay. That is such a weird time in the world. That is like, even when I first interacted with book, your fucking life, it was the web version when we were touring at that point where I, the, guess somebody just you know put all that shit on the internet but i definitely remember using that for the first couple times that we tried to go up and down the east coast and stuff and uh that's a like that time in which you had to use landlines and kind of like travel without like navigating by fucking you know like physical maps and atlases and stuff like i can't imagine you just uh touched on anxiety which is something like i deal with all the time and like touring was a great way to get over a lot of shit that used to freak me out and like traveling in general was one of those but doing it without that type of safety net or cell phones man that's really that's another another life (laughs) i actually uh to touch on something you said i personally love maps and i really miss touring just using the fucking Rand mcnally u.s atlas and like some directions once you get in town from the promoter that you'd scribbled down that's uh, awesome. I there were there were there were several years where do you remember when GPS of course you remember GPS thing units were their own thing. Yeah, uh, yeah. And you had to mount them and they were kind of they were kind of hit and miss. Yeah, yeah, like, totally. It was like if you didn't update it at the right time, you wouldn't have certain like, you know, yeah. patches and stuff like that. Yeah. And like totally. We always had one of those on tour, but like for many years I was always very like no, we're not fucking using that thing. I've got a map. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. But now like Google Maps, I think, is one of the most incredible things about the world today, honestly. Like no time traffic updates, alternate routes, sign me up. Yeah, yeah, no. Offloading that side is uh, is ultimately positive, but I love your. Uh, I I like that you resisted it. That that makes I me happy. I resisted for as long as I could. I was I was a big holdout on smartphones. I had a flip phone. Like, I remember that long time after I shouldn't have had a flip phone. <laughs> I remember several. I love smartphones. I have two now. Whoa. Uh, Capitalism has won, finally. (laughs) Um, Do you. So, what was your first, like, like, what got you into music to start with? Like, before booking shows and everything? Like, what was the first thing you fell in love with musically? The first thing I fell in love with musically was probably Weird Al Yankovic. Honestly, I had all his tapes like when I was in the third grade. Um, But I think the first and like I had an older stepsister, so I'd always dub her tapes. So like at a very young age, I had like Nirvana and Guns N' Roses. Uh, But I think the first thing that I heard and really clicked with me that like had any relevance to my life, uh, like a lot of people is Dookie. Mm hmm. 
Yeah, absolutely. Another thing that we can, I don't remember if we were recording or not, but I think Dookie and the Simpsons probably had the biggest effects on my worldview, which is... No, definitely the culmination of, like, the convergence of those two social influences, like, has resulted in some of my best friends in the world. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm right there with you, man. That's, like, it's really interesting, especially because... being from small towns, like small town Iowa, growing up, like, you know, having those things to pass the time and like being able to really lean into things like enjoying TV and music and those like, I think it kind of goes in hand in hand with the boredom and all that stuff and like finding your your little community and whatnot, which, yeah, what was it like growing up in small town Iowa? Well, I think uh, we were talking about this before you hit record, but we're both products of childhoods where our media consumption options were much more limited and singular compared to children growing up these days. And as such, you know, I only had access to like so much media. Uh, And yeah, I grew up in a really small town. It's called Dallas center, Iowa. It's held a population of just under 2000 for like the last 30 years uh, to a really small high school. I was like way into video games. I, was a really awkward kid. I think I wore sweatpants every day until like eighth grade. <laughs> it was That's like, amazing. There's just like, was, there were these like few slivers of goodness, like the Simpsons was on and, uh, you know, but I think it was, you can edit out the silence. I just want to make sure this thought is formed correctly. Uh, I think it was easier to find something that you would connect with the way like we connected with Dookie and the Simpsons versus today. I wonder if like I was growing up today and I heard an album that I would have fucking loved as a kid back then. Like, would I even care about it? Cause there were so many other options. Like I only, I only had so many fucking tapes growing up and that's all you could do besides listen to the radio, which was never very good was just like, listen to the 12 tapes you had you know yeah. i don't think i got a cd player until maybe 99 no absolutely i i think that's a super interesting point and you know we touched on that before we were recording it as like you said and i mentioned my kids and the way they consume media is so different and uh anyone listening who's heard me uh talk about this a million times i'm sorry but my one my oldest five five-year-old teddy has very little interest in linear storytelling he's way more into like how it's made and like these videos like these science videos about how stuff works he's a total engineer science kid has no real interest in like the fantastic or like the uh or even just fiction really like very little i'll say and that's been like really interesting to me because I was the exact opposite. Like I grew up on nothing but like Disney movies and then to cartoons and things like, you know, Simpsons and all that stuff. So like, it's a completely different worldview and it's a completely, I just don't know. I don't know if the linear storytelling or like the, the TV style that we grew up on appeals to this new generation because of how many options they have. And I'll tell you one thing that I, yeah, I'm so out of touch with this new generation personally. And when mm-hmm. I say this new generation, I'm generally speaking of anyone 30 or younger. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And I can't speak between five and 30. So really, (laughs) but I I can say this with, I'm, I'm pretty certain about this. Uh, Kids are not listening to albums these days. No, no, totally. That's a great point. And so, okay. So that's super interesting actually that you bring that up. And so my Teddy, his musical stuff, his favorite record right now is the new house ghost record. He loves house ghost because he really likes Halloween and he likes punk rock as he'll tell you. And other than that, yeah, it's great. And like, he's very, he's, but you're right. He won't listen to a whole record. Like he'll tell me to skip around to the songs that he likes on anything. If I like, it's, that's a very interesting point because it's the same thing. Like, even the shows that are made for kids these days, like Mickey Mouse Clubhouse and stuff, there's very little that's like a full 25 minutes or a half hour program like we had growing up. They're usually like two 10 minute episodes crammed into one so that like it's more digestible. But like, I think they're, I don't even think it's necessarily an attention span thing. I think it's literally just the way that the kids are interacting with this kind of like giant media scape these days. Like one of the things I've noticed with Teddy is he picks things up via osmosis a lot. Like he like things that are just in the culture where I'm like, I wonder if he understands what's going on here. And like just really simple stuff with like uh, uh, let's I'm trying to think of a good example right now. Like uh, he so he, like I say, doesn't really watch movies, but he's really into Legos. So he's been getting into different, like Legos all about storytelling right now, right? So he uh, gets into these like medieval castles and these Harry Potter sets. And there's a lot of themes that are like very much like, you know, your classic prince and princess and dragon and all that stuff that kind of come along with it. But there's very like, he already knows those themes without ever being exposed to them. Like when he gets the play, when he gets the Lego built and he's playing them without like reading them or having seen any of the Disney movies, he knows that like the prince saves the princess and everything. But at the same time, he like has no interest in that. Like he'll just say it, but he's not playing. He's not, he's like, yeah, the prince is going to go save the princess, but I'm just going to throw these things under the table and do my own thing with it. So like, it's like he absorbed the idea via osmosis and now he's like just throwing the idea on the floor it's like i'm just gonna do my own thing which usually ends up having to do with poop and cats and space because they're his three favorite things (laughs) um but yeah i'm super interested in how that's going to affect things like we were just saying that there there probably won't be another dookie like there probably won't be another like cultural touchstone in the way that dookie was for the kids of our age it's probably going to be like 30,000 smaller dookies that all interact with different little groups of kids, which I don't know. Again, I try not to be negative about this stuff. I just think I I recognize that it's happening and it's interesting. (laughs) Uh, One thing that interests me that is kind of parallel, you were talking to on speaking on how media for younger people is like not the length it used to be like it's more Mm -hmm. segmented and like packaged in a smaller thing wow i'm talking real good right now Todd. <laughs> you sound, you, uh, you're doing great yeah. no but uh there's been this other interesting thing where uh however many years ago when streaming finally started to affect the charts um hit songs are now getting shorter and shorter just oh. so they can be streamed more than like Cause like a two minute song, you can stream that more times in an hour than a three minute song. So like all the big hits are getting like noticeably shorter and shorter and shorter so they can have more streams. 
That's super interesting. It's yeah. so weird. And I'm sure there was similar effects when like radio had like come on and became the the prime that. Now I'm talking good. The uh, primary form of the way people in took music. I'm sure that changed the art form or the songwriting oh, process. And, uh, and like, it's so interesting to see how this shit changes via the, the mediums it's put out there, because I'd imagine that like, you know, whether it's surface level or not, things like TikTok have definitely changed the visual medium all the way to like a network cable side of things. Like I don't, we don't, you know, watch too much. Like I said, Teddy, we watch just shit for the kids when we watch TV now. Like I can, that's another thing that's really weird for me is I consume less TV now than ever because like with the kids, it's pretty much like the TV's on for them and then they go to bed and it's like, well, I got to do all this shit. I can't really watch a show and do all this. It's been a weird transition the last five years for me. But I mean, mainly I've transitioned to like listening to podcasts about TV shows that I love. <laughs> so uh, don't worry about it. The TV's no good no more. <laughs> <laughs> That's good to hear, man. Because I'm I, way I, out. I like of the older behind. stuff better. <laughs> the earlier works. Well, then I think I'll probably uh, be right there with you. Did... So, like, you know, as far as that side of things goes, do you find, like, with the with the bands that like one of the things that we talked about again before we hit record is how when you put out a record it's because you love it like you're putting out things that speak to you completely like you don't really give a fuck as far as how much it's going to sell or anything like that yeah. like have you found like the like that's impacting the bands that you work with at all like has it trickled down to the diy pop punk stuff like are people like even subconsciously you think i mean we've always played in a game of short songs so that might not be a good uh a good example like maybe it's the best time for the headies ever if that's the case i mean <laughs> um but yeah do you think like this stuff will eventually like trickle down into the diy uh side of things I'm not sure if like you'll notice it so much in things like song length, but um, it's really interesting to me the way this sort of like new media, new technology has sort of affected the DIY scene and especially like the way DIY bands operate now. Um, I can't take full credit for the theory I'm about to espouse. I've, many late night talks with a band on the label from Philly called teenage Bigfoot mm -hmm. kind of led to this conclusion that a lot of bands these days are more than anything, just content fodder. Like you see bands who will like post on Instagram like every day and like just filling up like the algorithm. Like there's so many people in bands who like think that like the biggest part of being in a DIY band is like, doing this sort of digital hustling thing where you like yeah. get yourself out there always like that's like dropping interesting like uh not a not a terrible band or anything nothing against them but the one band that like pops up in my mind is uh cat bite yeah okay okay like, I, I i i know them only from social media so that's kind of relevant that's that proves my <laughs> point quite well that, i think cat bite are definitely like social media darlings and it's like compared to like the world we came from where we're going on tour with maps and like looking at fucking book your own fucking life and making phone calls trying to get shows like it just seems so foreign to me the way like 
bands like put themselves out there now and try and operate in this sphere. And I think it does more good for like meta. Like I think bands like Catbite, and again, like not to shit on them, they're fine. But like all these new young DIY bands just like creating so much content is doing more good for like Instagram than it's doing for their band, you know? Yeah. No, that's a wow, that's something I have never even had to think about as a artist, but that's I mean and like, you know, as a visual artist, I think I would fall into that more than any of my like music work because obviously I post like twice a day on Instagram at least and like make half of my living off of shit I get from like so so like I totally like he, that makes so much sense because I think about that like visually like I'm like, oh yeah, this is a platform that's literally surviving off of artists like, you know, work that they're not getting paid for all the time but the flip side is that you have a chance to connect with a bunch of people and like maybe make that into some sort of economic game gain etc but if and this is where like you know i think there's some part of our brains that might be a little broken to operate in this new world in 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 a lot of ways because uh i think we both have certain knee-jerk reactions to things like you just explained that uh, come across as like well that fucking sucks (laughs) like you know and and maybe it doesn't suck but it just kind of is hard for us to see why it doesn't suck right now when there is currently there's an so or i guess my question would be is there another way to like be what like a quote unquote successful diy band like can you get to um you know the the same place that a band like catfight has gotten to without being a social media darling to, to, to use your phrase i don't know is the answer to that because <laughs> the best answer uh, I really, I really don't know, um, because I'm sitting here trying to think of an example of like a band that's done well recently that like is DIY and is like, oh, okay. I mean, I'm sure there are examples in like the hardcore scene and mm-hmm. like, but even that, like the way like being on the internet, these new hype hardcore bands are like not necessarily marketed to me, but the way they like enter my feed and I become aware of like the next generation of like your turnstiles and your gels and what have you. It just, Mm -hmm. if it all feels inorganic compared to like the way we used to find out about bands and stuff. And I think maybe some of this view of mine is definitely a product of growing up when I did, but uh, I don't know. It's just, it's just, it works for some bands like cat bites doing great. They've got a bunch of fans. They're riding that whole ska revival thing. Ska's huge now. Are you aware of that? I am just briefly becoming aware of all of this, Servo. I had no clue. It's crazy. (laughs) And like for some bands, but then like you see like DIY shitty punk bands who have like 250 followers who are just like trying to churn out content. They're like, all right, we got to get a new single next month. We got to drop a new video next month. We got to post about it, post about it, post about it. And it's like, so and like okay so i think you just touched upon something i think about a lot and that's like what motivates people to get involved with things like the diy punk scene and stuff and i think a lot of it like starts from a place that we talked about before of boredom and kind of looking for a community and something cool to do on the weekends and all of that shit but then once people are in and have found 
the scene and it could be the DIY punk scene. It could be a million other type of scenes, right? You can kind of see, I feel like the scene becomes this reflection of that person. And you can kind of see by the way that they move throughout that scene, like what their intents are and what their purpose, what they're trying to get out of it. I think there's a lot of people. And one of the reasons that like me and you connect so much is because you're a fan. You just love the art form and you obviously do this out of a place of like, you know, this is, this means a lot to you in a lot of ways. And like, I think it's really, I think social media has uh, heightened that awareness that some people don't do this because they love it. They don't do it just because it's, and no one really picks like pop punk as a way to like fucking make a lot of money. Don't get me wrong. Like no one's like choosing this as like, they're like, you know, I'm, I'm going to ride this shit to the top, but you can see the way that people's tendency to kind of manipulate different things comes out more when you have that lens of social media to it, where they feel this pressure to produce and to kind of, and I, I mean, there is like, I always have noticed that there was people that went to shows because they loved to be there for the music and they loved the bands that were playing. There was people that went to shows because they wanted to get wasted and have a good time. There was people who went to shows because they just got drugged. Like the, it's always been a collection of people with different purposes and like reasons to end up somewhere. And I feel like social media might just be highlighting some of those negative things that, you know, uh, motivate people to get involved with this stuff and i i can't tell again if that's just a, a product of our times being raised in like 90s kind of like fuck you cool kid mentalities which is definitely something that i've had to like break myself of in a lot of places and uh i, I, I still hate the preps man <laughs> as as they should be hated <laughs> um dude i i i love that do you so like I, <laughs> um as far as like when you started getting involved in this stuff right like when you started kind of making that choice to kind of change jump back a little bit here when you made the choice to like start putting yourself into this financially like start putting out records and like that whole side of things like what what pushed you over the edge like did you did you ever play in bands like were you did because like i don't like kind of here and there like was that like what what made you start putting out records was it that you wanted to be a record label did that was that where the motivation came from or did it just kind of fall that way I just had some extra money. <laughs> uh, no, uh, I actually started the label like when I was very young. I was like 14. I was in eighth grade when Bloated Cat Records started. And I was like, Damn. this is probably, we're in like the third, if you go to the main camp, it's like the third incarnation. Like all the stuff I was doing as a kid, I was like dubbing tapes. I When I was like in, a freshman in high school, I remember for Christmas one year, I got a fucking $600 standalone CD burner. That's like amazing. You could like get this shit in computers and stuff and you could like copy a CD at like twice the speed it takes to play it. Absolutely. That's amazing. Uh, so you, yeah. you were at the ground level of all that shit. That's amazing. Did I was, you I finally, I finally just threw it away this year. It had been sitting in a closet <laughs> in my mom's house unused since like the year 2000 and Amazing. i was like ah are these worth anything looked it up nope <laughs> threw it in the trash 
Who would have thought CD technology wouldn't uh, survive? Uh, you know, I, it was such a huge media form for me that, yeah, I can't even tell you the last time I've looked at a CD at this point. Besides, actually, the bloated cat comps that you sent me are the only CDs that currently exist right over on my shelf here in the studio. <laughs> oh, nice. Uh, one cool thing to do with those is if you take the discs and put them in a microwave and like set it to go for like 20 seconds, it makes this really cool sparking. <laughs> I should totally do that for Teddy because that he would, he would love that. He would love it. He would yeah, love no, it. He'd be putting it, all sorts of shit in the microwave after that. That's exactly what I need to encourage my kid to do. I, I'm, yeah, that's hilarious. Do you like? So you know, you're 70 releases in right now and have no plans on stopping, right? Like you're you're gonna keep doing this for as long as as long as you want to. And like, do you think that you're still are you still as into it as you were? Like, do you think you're still as passionate about this shit as you've always been? Or is it wax and wane like uh, everything else? It's, uh, I, I'd, I'd describe it as diminished returns. Um, <laughs> no. Uh, Ooh, it, I'd say I'd, it, it waxes and wanes. Like, there are definitely, like, times where, like, I don't give a shit about the label and, like, I haven't, like, got any new projects rolling they'll be like it'll go like a couple years without a new release but i i honestly think the best thing to happen to bloated cat records uh in recent years was the pandemic (laughs) i just i needed something to do yeah rejuvenated the whole thing yeah i mean I was just, I had no, I was locked inside. I had nothing to do. I was like, oh, I might as well like try and put out a compilation, you know, and did like three of them. That's awesome. Absolutely. Uh, but no, uh, one thing I would say about that is uh, I would give anything to recapture the magic of the moment where I got the first real record I put out from the plant and opened the boxes and looked at it. Uh, that doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> Yeah, that novelty, it's really hard to keep that going, right? Yeah. That's uh that is a very special thing though. It really like making that thing material and physical and like I don't know, there was something so special about it just it's so legitimate. It's a real physical thing. That's right? amazing. Um do you like do you think that you'll ever uh I guess, you know, you we you're putting on a large fest right you're doing and we can talk about that a little bit more but like do you think you'll ever stop that side of it as far as like booking shows and like you know being involved in the live side of it we briefly i don't know if we're recording or not but we briefly talked about how since you moved to richmond you haven't really been going to shows too much or anything like how how much has that changed or have you felt that change i guess uh i mean that was something the pandemic really fucked with. Uh, cause you know me, I would like tour a couple times a year pretty consistently. And at this point I haven't been on tour in over three years. Wow. And I miss it. And hopefully yeah. this spring I'll be out there for a week or something with a band on bloated cat. But like, I don't know. I've always loved going places and meeting people. So I'll definitely keep booking tours. And one thing that like I was getting into before the pandemic, uh was bringing in bands from like japan and europe yeah Uh, doing that stuff was starting to get real fun 
And it looked like I could do that a lot more regularly. And then the world ended. So that was cool. Uh, yeah. Uh, this is the third, as you said, I've booked a festival in New York City this summer. It's called Bloated Saturday Five. This is my third attempt at throwing a Bloated Saturday Five. <laughs> this is the so, one that's going to well, stick. It's it's this, going to happen. It's time for real. Uh, I don't think I ever answered the last question you asked succinctly. Uh, I don't even know what well, it was. Well, so that's okay. I, it's... Uh, I don't remember either, but I know that the answer is I'll stop doing this when it really stops being fun for me. Yeah, <laughs> like, dude. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Like, I'm, and, I'm more excited about this New York thing than I've been about anything in a minute. That's awesome. That It's good that, yeah, that's the perfect answer because I think a lot of people push on with shit like this, even after it's not fun and it can really, uh, it can really sour some things for them. <laughs> um, but yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so traveling, that's something you've done a ton of, right? Like you've done a whole bunch like internationally and have you been to all the States at this point? Yeah, I've, I've been to, I, cleared that goal like over 10 years ago i've been to all 50 states it's been that long ago i remember i feel like i remember when you got the last one or two and i i maybe not i don't know but i remember having this conversation but dude and like you lived in japan for a little while right you taught you taught yeah. in japan for a little while how how did that happen like what took you over there <laughs> i was like about to graduate college and uh I didn't have any any fucking thing lined up and I never like figured out okay I'm gonna be an adult now what should I do and I really didn't want to go to grad school because I was pretty you know burnt out on school after like 16 years or whatever and yeah. uh, one of my goals in life was like oh I'd love to move to Japan someday so like I remember one day just sitting down and googling teach English in Japan <laughs> and I just clicked the first link and like took it as far and went with it, got a job interview in Chicago and that's amazing. Ended up in Japan. That's and how long were you there for? Oh, like a year. That's awesome. That was, and that was just on a whim. You're just like, I'm going to do this. <laughs> yeah. Did you, did you go to school for English? Uh, no, I have a degree in uh, philosophy actually. Whoa. That makes a lot of sense. You're a very wise man. Well, <laughs> do you, the story behind that is uh, I'm the only grandson of a doctor. Oh, really? And so it was never like a question of, oh, maybe you'll go to college. It's like, oh, you're going to college. Like <laughs> the money's there, which, you know, is yeah. nice. But like I just went right after high school with like no direction and just kept taking classes that seemed interesting. And like after like five semesters they called me into some office and they were like all right if you don't declare a major you're done here and i'm like why wow, i'm just giving you my money and they're like no and so i went home and did the math and realized if i did philosophy i could get out of there in four years awesome. so that's how that choice happened that's how that <laughs> happened it was kind of a non-choice did you learn anything useful probably <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you know danny is uh i think two credits off from a philosophy degree he never oh, i think it was a, i think it was a spanish class something it was something really stupid in which he uh he he never got the actual degree but he's right there <laughs> i uh i almost i i feel that because in college i 
almost didn't graduate because of a language requirement. Uh, didn't get enough in high school, so I had to take a year of anything in college. And I chose Latin. Completely Ooh. failed the first time I tried it. Tried it again my last year. Did all right the first semester. Did terrible the second semester. I remember the professor called me, like was like, can you stay after and talk to me? He's like, you're going to fail this class. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, I know. And he's like, if you fail this class, they won't let you graduate, right? And I was like, yeah. And he just like let out the biggest sigh. He was like, oh, I can't do that to you. <laughs> and so... That's so I got like a fucking D on my second semester of Latin when I had like twenty percent. It's a hard fucking That's... language. I don't know what I was doing, dude. It's a it's an archaic one for a reason. I mean, I I never took any language in like they let. I think I had like a semester of Spanish in high school and they were like, yeah, you're not going to be able to do this. We're going to give you, I have all kinds of like learning disabilities. So they just put me anytime I would hit a wall in high school, they'd be like, take another art class or like for the language requirement. They let me do, I edited the school literary and art magazine, the annual one that they came. And I was like, yeah, this is way better than trying fucking <laughs> to learn how to talk. I'm not, not going to work for me. Um, but yeah, that's really funny. So you went straight from graduating with a degree in philosophy to living in Japan for a year and hanging out there. And then you've gone back several times since, right? Like you've, oh, yeah. you've been back uh, teaching. Did you just really dig it over there? Or is there... Uh, oh, yeah. What, what it fucking rules. It's great. Um, I also have some friends over there. But um, no, it's like the coolest place on earth. It's like... I don't, but also like, I don't know. You can edit this part out, but um, I just like hit the vape and I'm like, uh, 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 uh. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's interesting. Like with media, seeing the differences over time, because I first went there like 2006 and like, you could get all You could do fine in Japan, not knowing any Japanese. If you know English signs are in English, uh, occasion, like you will run into people who speak English. Like it was fine in 2006. The last time I went was like 2017, fucking everybody's speaking english at you really it's like such an like you go into 7-eleven and the clerk talks to you in english it's like such a huge difference that's like wild. I didn't, the last time i went i didn't get any chance to practice my japanese because i'd try and start talking to someone in japanese shitty japanese and they'd just talk back in english <laughs> that's really interesting i yeah. wonder what's uh what, what's pushed that cultural change like if oh, it's, i was part of it uh just like more tourism and like just general like th that teaching programs and things like that the teaching programs uh yeah they were just they just got really big on english and fucking everybody learned it you got i mean you have to take it in school there now i'm pretty sure yeah that's interesting and like i know not of uh you know japanese as far as like the actual language but i've always been kind of fascinated by the idea that like different languages are more complex than english and english is a very simplified version so like languages like J uh, japanese and these more kind of languages that go back farther hold a lot more of an ability to say things like they have more words for certain emotions or way to describe things and stuff like that so it's interesting to hear like cultural shift like shifts like that and like how language like how that's going to affect things a hundred years that's, down the road that's actually one of the reasons i'm so into japanese pop punk bands kind of is because 
a lot of their lyrics are in English, but through they're through this like lens of like thinking about the world in the Japanese language. So when yeah. they like try and translate their thoughts into English, they come out with these lyrics that you can understand and relate to, but like no native speaker would write these. Like Absolutely. And it's That's like so cool. poetry that like no English person could produce. No, absolutely. And that makes so much sense. I, I, I love that. I, uh, it's one of the things that, and that's another thing that's super interesting. And did, did, did um, Japan's love of punk rock and like pop punk in general, cause it's really, really big, right? Like the Ramones yeah. are like as big as the Beatles over there type deal from what I've like gleaned, probably not, but like, you know, they're, it's a lot bigger culturally there than it is here. Right. Like as far as, uh, or is that a, a, <laughs> a complete misidentification? I'd say it's probably like similarly sized subculture. Okay. Um, yeah. Like there's, there's definitely like different scenes over there and different analogs, like, mm-hmm. uh, pop punk the kind of pop punk that's huge or was huge here like radio hit pop punk that sort of stuff is huge over there um it's really funny like one of my favorite bands in japan is a band called navel they've been a band for like 27 years uh i brought them over here for their first u.s tour uh great people great friends but like they've been a band for 27 years playing live all the time putting out records you go see a naval show in Japan. There's like maybe a hundred people there. Wow, that's wild. How did they do here? Oh, they did. They did pretty good. Were people uh, stoked got them on, on it? Yeah, people were stoked. The good shows were really good. There was a bad show or two, but like people were stoked on them. They had a great time. They had no complaints. That's what matters. Uh, they played a basement show while they were over here, and it was the first time ever in 25 years of being a band they ever played a show without monitors whoa yeah and so like it's wild they kind of fucked them up yeah understandably after that like they were all mad at themselves for like getting fucked up because they didn't have any monitors because they'd never not had monitors wow yeah those are things i never would even think about but that makes a lot of sense that makes a lot of sense do you get to travel with them like when you're bringing in bands from other countries and stuff are you traveling with them the whole time oh yeah totally um i've got a band coming over from sweden this summer that i'll be driving around they're playing the fest uh yeah that's like one of my favorite things to do actually is like get people from bands over here especially like people who've never been to the United States before. I love hanging out with people who have never been here, experienced anything like this before for like a week or two. And just like watching them try and like comprehend our reality, you know? (laughs) Absolutely. That's gotta be some culture shock moments there for a lot of them. (laughs) Oh, definitely. Oh, every, every single time, like, I'll like, I've had a European or Japanese band over. I've had to like stop them from like walking outside with beer. I'm like, no, you can't, you can't take that on the sidewalk and drink it here. You'll get in trouble. And it's like, they're always like, that's so fucking stupid. Yeah, it's a, it's, there's some really weird stuff. I can imagine that's very uh, jarring for a, yeah, yeah, for a lot of them. You can drink alcohol anywhere you want in japan it doesn't matter 
<laughs> that's wild. Yeah, we uh, you know, those puritanical roots mm. die hard around here. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you like so like you're driving these dudes from show to show and like, you know, what what kind of like what kind of conversations are y'all having? Like are they are they asking you lots of questions about the living in the States and stuff? Or are you guys just talking about music or like well, what, it's, a, it's a good mix uh with the Japanese band uh tried to ask them a lot of questions about Japanese music and Japanese punk and stuff. Uh, but they very curious, had a lot of questions about America. And I think I'm kind of suited for this very niche role, partially because I taught English in Japan for a year. And like, I have this experience of constantly having to figure out how to express things to people in the simplest English possible. Mm-hmm. So it's very easy for me to communicate with like someone who has the language skills of a third grader. <laughs> totally. That makes a lot of sense. What is like the DIY scene like in Japan? Like, did you get to go to shows and stuff when you were teaching over there? Yeah. Yeah. I went to a bunch of shows over there. Um, it's not, it's, it's, it's different. Um, they don't have like, there's not like DIY, DIY shows, you know, there's not like house shows like, or anything like that. All the shows are like punk rock bars, you know, and shows over there, the Japanese value music way more than we do. I think because shows over there, you'll go see like four local bands and it'll be like 50 bucks. That's wow. Wow. Yeah. And like That's you go to a show and like bands will be selling shirts for like 30, 40 bucks, seven inches for 20 bucks, yeah. you know, CDRs for $15 and people will just happily pay. That's like, so cool. Um, another interesting thing is you see a lot of old people at shows because a lot of Japanese punks just like don't age out. The age out rate over there is much lower than it is here. So like yeah. there's actually like a lot of like older dudes at most of the shows. That's interesting. And I mean, I have to imagine, like you said, it's that they value the uh, art in general differently. Like their culture has a different place for it. And I mean, I, yeah, that's super interesting. And like, it's definitely interesting seeing like being immersed in something like that be after being, I mean, at that point you'd been putting shows on in America for how long and like, you know, being a, a big part of the, you know, DIY, DIY scene here and then going over there to see how, like how big of a culture shock was that for you? Like how was it something that you were able to kind of glean some stuff from and like bring back with you when you came back to do more uh, things around here? One thing I definitely took away from it that I've been trying to do as much as possible is like every club, like you can't get in a car with like amps and guitars and a drum set in Japan and travel around the country easily. You can't take that stuff on a train. So every bar that has shows just has a back line. Like you don't have to worry about bringing stuff. And it really, for the first time, instilled in me the idea that, like, more people need to share gear at shows. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I couldn't agree with that sentiment more. I uh, I haven't put on a show in a long time, but I 
put on a lot and the amount of people you could really kind of tell sometimes as far as what you're going to get into and with uh, people's views on sharing equipment for sure. I don't know. There's definitely no, uh, that definitely. That anxiety you talked about drummers a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's very true. I am, uh, I am the exact opposite where I have no care about any of my gear. And usually when people, I, I always felt bad. I'm like, you're welcome to play this, but I literally, you know, it's, it might not be the best for you, (laughs) but, um, dude, that's, that's huge. And I think there's definitely, I mean, again, it's one of those things where I haven't been, uh, actively playing or going to shows in a long time but it's it seems like those little things can make a giant difference in the longevity of that kind of age out factor that you were talking about like making those little kind of friction points smoother like is huge whether it's for the bands or the audience and i don't know that's super interesting do you like do you think you're going to do any more big travels like that? Are you done with your, are you, do you want to get back to doing international traveling once? It's I, like I honestly, like, <laughs> right now, my biggest life goals, uh, I would like to book a bloated Saturday in the UK and one in Japan. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. I like your life goals. Yeah. Uh, those were definitely, I figured those out as life goals, like right before the pandemic. <laughs> Way to make it easy on yourself. Yeah, I, figured, I figured I would have crossed those off the list well before now, but I'm still still working on them. I think maybe next year I can make next one year? if not both happen. That's exciting. Yeah. That'd be yeah, that that'd be amazing. I, I hope you can make it happen for sure. Do you so do you think that like you know the age out factor that we were just talking about as far as like, what, what do you think is the difference as far as what the retention rate in somewhere like Japan versus here? I think they're just better at like (laughs) kind of picking a lifestyle and sticking to it. Like, I don't know. I've thought about this a lot and I don't really have a good answer uh of why because like i'm sure you're like me your life is like full of hundreds of friends you'll never see again just because they were like ah okay time for a family yeah no absolutely i was done with the band you know (laughs) like everything everything that was my life up until now i don't care about anymore So I am like on, I I am on uh, the side of the fence now where like, you know, I have family and am super busy and like think about this and honestly have uh, have some guilt issues around some of it for like a lot of different reasons because so like I have some guilt issues around that and what luckily like we've uh, we've you know since we've been getting together and playing a lot more even before you graciously asked us to play this fest me and Danny have been working on me and Danny never stopped like me and him have been playing and making music together the whole time because that's always been our core interest is writing songs that's all me and Danny really care about is getting together writing songs and eventually recording them in some regard and like everything else is kind of icing on the cake as far as playing shows and any of the other stuff making making the lovely friends like you and everything else but that's one of the reasons that me and Danny click so much is because we are always kind of in it 
as much of a creative reason as a social less as a social reason and more of a creative reason you know and like i think that as we get older like you can find if you're in it for the creative side less than the social more than the social side and you find other creative outlets then like it becomes less of that like pool but at the same time i've constantly acknowledged that like my you know alley is directly from my time in the diy scene like all everything i have is built from the diy scene like that's where i started making my social structure when i was like 14 and 15 and like freshman in high school to like everybody i talk to now still is a part of that scene i just talk to a lot less people than i ever have before so like in my brain it's it's this weird thing I, what i'm getting at is in my brain i'm like as much a part of it as i've ever been but then i'm like oh fuck i haven't like booked a show or gone to a show or done anything besides like talk to people like you every once in a while or you know what i mean like so, let, so it's let this... me ask you a question now yeah no please uh how would you say growing up in a DIY scene and like spending all this time in bands and doing stuff, punk rock, how has that affected who you are as a visual artist? Yeah. Like it's uh, okay. That's a great question. Servo. And I mean, a hundred percent. The reason that I can do this creatively as a living is like a hundred percent tied to the DIY punk scene in a million, a million ways. I mean, very directly, I make my living off of drawing pictures for coffee bags that are screen printed. I learned how to screen print stuff because I was in bands and I needed t-shirts and gig posters. I learned specifically how to screen print coffee bags because I worked with my friend JP who like did a bunch of gig poster illustrations and was screen printing coffee bags for a place. So like, it's very, my professional uh, artistic career is completely directly tied to the connections, but more like overall than that, what I learned from the DIY scene, especially the punk DIY scene or the pop punk DIY scene is that, cause I think a lot of any kind of creative, like I remember getting to sixth grade and realizing there was like 10 kids, like up till then, I thought I was one of the best like visual artists. Like I always loved drawing and I thought I was like the art kid. But I remember specifically in like sixth or seventh grade being like, oh, I'm like the fifth best now. There's a bunch of kids that are better. So I just stopped. Like I just stopped drawing. But then getting back into like going to shows and realizing that like it's just half the battle is making shit. Like you don't have to be good at it. You just have to put shit out there and then eventually you get better at it. It was a combination of that and realizing that like this sounds kind of weird but making stuff and being nice is what the punk scene taught me like oh, like especially when it came to like yeah. booking shows and like being in a band that was touring and stuff you realize quickly that like you don't have to be the biggest band or a good band or or like you proficient even you just have to be nice and have something that you're making and people will try and help you along the way and usually it's in that process that you actually find what you're supposed to be making or doing or whatever you're like the thing that you're like, fuck yeah, this is it. So like I wouldn't have even continued on making stuff after like sixth or seventh grade. If I didn't have that influence of like going to a DIY punk show in ninth grade and being like, Oh, dumb motherfuckers like me can do this. And there's a play. Cause it's also the first time you're exposed to things like, photocopied zines and somebody had to make the flyer and you're like there's a place for some for creativity here that's not just being in a band or like being the best artist there's play like and that was the first time i kind of saw like 
that you can just make your own niche. So yeah, that's uh, I think that answered your question. <laughs> it got, yeah, but and like I want going back to what you were talking about earlier. Like I wonder as far as like that connection and that like that kind of creative barrier, like how people get like you know can like. Hold on, let me think here of how exactly I want to say this servo because I, I've been actually thinking about this a lot, right? Like if my kid who is now, he's about to be six. So let's say that, you know, when he's 14, so what is that? It's currently 23. So like, goddamn, like 2030 something, right? Like <laughs> what the fuck is a DIY scene going to look like in 2030 something? And can it still serve that purpose that like, you know, I... I think it definitely served for me, like, you know, that community structure, that confidence, that like that ability to like realize that creativity is not about like, not a, only about the craft. There's like a whole other section to it that like just making shit and putting it out is more important than being the best. Like, is that going to be something that kids even need to learn anymore because they have all this fucking crazy tools where like, like, you can make anything musically without ever learning an instrument at this point. Like you can literally Absolutely. just, just use AI intelligence to write dookie, like, you know, note for note at this point. Like, have so you, have you, have you done this? Have you asked the AI chatbot to write you a pop punk song at all? Oh, no, I spent but, hours playing with it. <laughs> oh my gosh. You have to share some, what, 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 what was your, like, was there good stuff? Like, could, was it indistinguishable or was it, uh, Wait, are you gonna pull some up? Because I'm gonna be really excited. I, I was about to pull some up, but then I realized I had I had no idea how to do that. So what I'm gonna <laughs> do is I'm gonna open it up real quick, and I'm gonna have it write me a song about being on a podcast with Todd Purse. That's amazing. I can't wait to hear what this comes back with. I was listening to a podcast the other day where they had AI. I think it was they had the Buddha write a letter to Jesus and it was the best thing I've ever heard. It was pretty much like, I, yeah, I can't even do it justice. So I'm not even going to try and quote it at all, but it's, that's the type of shit this AI stuff is super fun for. Um, but yeah, I think about that a lot with my kids. The fact that they don't like, they might not never ever need to learn an instrument to create shit. <laughs> I don't think kids like guitars anymore. Dude, that's interesting. Uh, my kids just like detuning my guitar. Like I'll, they'll, they'll let me play. Like I'll play the acoustic guitar in the living room and they'll like run around crazy for a minute. And then they just run up and start detuning the whole thing. And they think it's the funniest thing in the world, which I'm, you know, I'm not mad at. <laughs> Dude. So why you're looking that up? Servo. Oh wait. Okay. Back already. Uh, okay. That's, it's it's got chords for the song too, which I'm Amazing. not gonna read. All right, just, so I might have to produce this song now. Yeah, you're, you're gonna have to send this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> verse one: I woke up early on Wednesday morning, thinking about the things I had to do, but then my phone rang and I saw it was Todd. He said, "Hey kid, you want to be on my podcast?" <laughs> Chorus: We're talking DIY punk with Todd. We're talking <laughs> DIY punk with Todd. We're talking DIY punk with Todd Purse. <laughs> Verse two. Whoa. I, jumped, okay. I jumped out of bed and got dressed in a hurry. I called my friend to tell him the news. We hopped in the van and hit the road, heading to Todd's studio, feeling alive. This doesn't <laughs> rhyme. I'm going to tell it to make it rhyme. 
<laughs> okay, dude. I don't think I've ever laughed that hard on this podcast, Servo. That's amazing. I this is exactly what AI is for. I am uh <laughs> I'm really stoked for doing this. Do you <laughs> can you actually tell it to rhyme? Is it does it do it? <laughs> No, it, it does a lot of times, but it just, I just said, make it rhyme the second prompt and it just spit out something that didn't rhyme. But the chorus of the second one is it's the DIY punk life for me, making music on our own terms. We don't need no record label. We just need our friends and a little help. <laughs> well, okay. Well, it really pulled it, it out. It knows what DIY punk is. You told it to rhyme and that's what it put out. Yeah, well, it's like, it's not perfect yet. It's definitely written me a bunch of songs that rhyme, but like, I guess it just doesn't have anything to rhyme with Todd Purser podcast. Oh man, that's amazing. Do you, what do you think as far as like, you know, AI music and stuff? Like, would you put out a record that was produced by like AI music stuff if it was something that you really liked? Like, like, would you, would you feel okay putting that into the world if someone was like, Servo, listen to this record and it's amazing, but it was all produced by, by AI? No, I wouldn't do that. But if you brought me a record and it was like produced by like Barnyard Animals and I really liked it, I'd do that. But, <laughs> Not a not a computer. Uh, I I like that answer. I appreciate that. Uh, if you find a record that's produced by Barnyard Animals, please send it my way. I think uh, I'd be really cool. into it. <laughs> that's amazing. Um, do you fuck around with like the AI visual stuff? Have you have you messed with those prompts and stuff at all? I have a little bit, and it's like it's cool and funny, but it also like something about it doesn't feel right. Yeah. It's, I was talking to my buddy who is a second grade teacher, I think. And cause I'm really interested with like how kids play with this stuff and like yeah. how, how interested they are in AI things. And like, there was somebody I was listening to that put it really well, where like a lot of this AI is kind of, you know, we've as a, culture or people we've offloaded craft and tasks a lot like we've gotten rid of a bunch of like you know the monotonous shit that humans are good at doing but like we're now really starting to offload the imagination which is something that's interesting like we're mm. starting to have these tools that can play with these things that like kind of seemed specifically human like you know like the, the joke telling and writing and visual arts and all these things are like definitely something that's special to to what we how we interact with the world so it's interesting that we're offloading that side and like bringing in a a different thing that can now do that like that you know like that's a that's a, a weird thing but when i was talking to my buddy who's a teacher he was like the kids like it to do exactly what we just did to make jokes and to see what it would look like if you put like Pikachu with a bunch of dicks on it or like things like that. And I'm like, good, that's what it should be. But he's like, as far as making anything, they still prefer like pencil and paper or paints. Like they still want to make a mess. They still want to like create things physically. And I'm like, that to me, for some reason is like really nice to hear. <laughs> and like, that is nice to but, hear. That's reassuring on some level. 
Yeah, and I'd say it's the same. Like Teddy has access to my iPad pretty much whenever he like. We haven't got him an iPad, but like I let him use Procreate and like draw stuff on my iPad, and he knows he can always come ask Dad to use it. But he's still like when he wants to, he likes to make plans. He makes blueprints for like how he's going to set up his Lego room and like all oh, this nice. silly stuff, right? Yeah, totally. Super into Lego. Um, so he'll like he'll ask for a pencil and paper to draw it where he knows he could use my iPad and he knows how to use Procreate and everything. But yeah, there's something to that that is kind of reassuring for some reason. But I'm all about these things, making silly songs and like, you know, a way to pass the time and entertain folks. <laughs> someone um, I, I, I bet someone in the next year drops a really stupid pop punk record that this AI program wrote. It's got to happen, right? Like it's got. Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how much you have your finger on the pulse of the dumb pop punk community. Not but, huge. Uh, not not oh, very man. much at this point. Man, those those idiots are putting out some real dumb records and. <laughs> <laughs> you, that so yeah, I could definitely see that happening for sure. Like, uh, you, I'm not even going to get into it. It's too dumb. <laughs> Are you sure? Because now you've said dumb enough times where I feel like we have to talk about it. But All right. imagine a band that does nothing but cover note for note Riverdale's LPs. Oh, okay. Make, I have heard about this. Makes the songs okay. about Star Wars. Yes, yes, I have. I've That's heard. So uh, it's incredibly, incredibly dumb. I've heard. I, I, so much stuff like that these days. Well, okay, and that's super interesting because, like, again, like, is it motivated by? Let's look at it via like movies, for say, like, or, or like uh, visual media, and how much there's an emphasis on reinvesting in current franchises instead of trying to make new mythologies. Like, how hard is it to make new creative art these days that will actually get traction if your goal is to like to be uh, like you know seen and noticed in the social media world is it easier and work better in which to take you know something like a riverdale's album and plop in star wars uh, lyrics and then like you know whether it's it's definitely to me not uh not the way that i i, I would be fulfilled creatively to sound kind I'm of i'm sure nervous. these guys think they're handy <laughs> fucking warhol totally totally <laughs> but but it's almost like that's retroactive. It's almost like that is only because of how much like they've actually gotten attention for this shit. Like if it just fell it flat, totally. And if it didn't get you attention, I feel like it would be like one of those things that like you feel kind of dumb for doing or like you're like, ah, that was just a thing that I did. And now like, you know, that's fine. That exists. And like, I don't know. It's in that is interesting to me. Like, why it's so encouraged to repackage media these days and not create new things. Like why is there 9 million star Wars things and not just a new space show? Like why, like, and is it because there's like these, uh, cultural touchstones that just make it easier to connect with a wider audience? Like if you're playing in the playground of star Wars, like you automatically have X amount of people, the Riverdale's is a much smaller yeah, audience. Much smaller but, like, there. But, but if you're playing, like you still have X amount of. I kind of think about it a lot of the times when I see like bootleg shirts and stuff that like hit real hard. Like I guess that might. This is something I haven't thought about in a while. But like 
there's like you'll see these little trends in like bootleg fashion pop up because people are mashing up the simpsons with minor threat or like they take these two things that have giant subcultures smash them together and then think they're like creative geniuses because they sell a million shirts martin shirt yeah yeah exactly i'm, I'm describing <laughs> half of yeah, yeah this is it's always good to use yourself as an example and it's the best-selling t-shirt i've ever drawn by <laughs> far but like there so yeah i mean it is interesting to me and like i think that the way that that conversation we were having earlier about the way media is set up, it kind of promotes that. It promotes like you need to have a basis, a community that you can start with because building a new mythology or community is like damn near impossible, it seems, these days. <laughs> I, I think I think a lot of that can be chalked up to the... Um, I knew every other word I wanted to say on this podcast, but now there's this one word, the uh, conglomeration. That's the one of large media companies, I think is a lot of the reason we don't see fresh new worlds. There are definitely people out there trying to create them. And there's definitely people publishing fiction on the internet. That's like all new, all original. That's way better than like the new star Wars stuff, but people already know what star Wars is. It's easier totally. to sell someone Star Wars. And I guess what I'm getting at is when Star Wars came out originally, everyone acknowledges how much stuff like that shifted the culture, right? And yeah. if we're only playing in these things that shifted the culture fucking 50 years ago or whatever at this point, like it's harder to have those mass shifts now, I guess is what I'm saying. Like, it's harder to have something come out and like everybody be like, and like there's examples a hundred percent. Like there's definitely shit that came like stranger things is something that comes to mind. Like there's definitely things that came out that like have these like giant cultural things that are new, but it's interesting to me how that, the opportunity to have that. And I think a lot of it is financial and that's why I remembered I stopped thinking about these things because it is just sad at the end because it's just like, you know, combining of things, but like a lot of the opportunities to have those mass cultural shifts seem to be lost in today's culture, but that might not be true. And that might just be because I'm not interacting with all of the things that you just mentioned that are definitely out there. (laughs) Um, Uh, Yeah. That, for whatever reason, uh, you probably remember this. Do you remember when there wasn't Star Wars when we were kids? Where you could not go anywhere and buy any sort of Star Wars product whatsoever? Like, it had just, like, started to fade from, like, the consumer landscape. A hundred percent, dude. So, I, like... I came, I don't even know when I first fucking saw Star Wars. I remember my cousin trying to show me when I was young and I was like, that's boring. Like, I remember not caring specifically about it. And like, I, yeah, I, it's real interesting how I I haven't thought about that until you just said it, but we really didn't have anything like that uh, influencing. Yeah, that's funny. And I wonder, like, I definitely remember when the new ones came out and that everyone hated them and all of that, but that's the only like touchstone I have from being a kid and Star Wars. Do you, yeah, that's that's funny, Servo. Do you still like watch a lot of new stuff? Like, are you still a TV guy? Like, I know you said earlier, new TV sucks, but like, how much time do you spend consuming old TV or or that form of uh, stuff at all? 
uh, I watch a good amount of old TV. I'm probably probably at like a couple hours a day of old TV right now. I just recently got BritBox, and I'm watching all the old Sherlock Holmes and Poros. Ooh, and, that's exciting. Um, the only TV show I keep up with is Jeopardy. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> uh, other than that, I don't think I'm like actively watching any sort of new ongoing series. I uh, I made this rule years and years ago where like if I'm going to watch a series, I'm going to wait until it's done. That's a good and, rule. Uh, it's really saved my ass a couple times. Like I never watched Game of Thrones. I was excited for it to be done and then watch it, but then... You know, everyone hated the last season, so I'm never even going to watch it. Um, I feel like it really saved me with Lost. Yeah. I feel like if I had been watching Lost the whole way through, I would have gotten infinitely frustrated instead of just never seen it. Uh, That's yeah, very no, I, don't watch, I don't watch a lot of new stuff at all. What do you consume, Servo? What What do you What do you uh, I like what do you cereal? <laughs> That's the best answer. Uh, are you yeah. are you listening to records these days? Like, what oh, yeah, you I got a nice little audio setup for the first time in like a minute, and I've been like listening to a bunch of stuff. I've always had a decent record collection, but like I always lived by this rule where if I owned a record and it became worth like a hundred dollars, I would sell it. Uh, so recently, I've been buying back like all these like reissues of like major label '90s stuff that like I had at one point, but then like sold like Veruca Salt and the Cranberries and like awesome. I just I just bought Dookie for the first time. I haven't had Dookie on vinyl in probably 20 years. That's super exciting. That's uh, awesome, dude. Very cool. Well, man, we've been at this for over an hour now. And I feel like I, you know, we could keep going for a long time, but I don't want to keep you. I mean, I was, I was, I was curious who was going to blink first. Well, that was, I tried to blink first as the like somewhat host of this thing, just because I feel, dude, I feel so bad. This is actually the first episode of my podcast is the thing. Ooh, I, (laughs) you should start a podcast, Servo. You totally should. Have you really thought... I didn't realize I had s- such a nice microphone at my disposal. So, just do it. Just just talk about stuff. You have I me and Lupus Thunder, formerly of the Bloodhound Gang. <laughs> I would listen. You have uh, you have one listener in me, sir. <laughs> well, until your future podcast starts, is there things you'd like to share with anyone that's listening here, as far as the records you put out and all of the things you're doing? Yo, if you like the words that came out of my mouth over the past hour or whatever get, this gets shaved down to, uh, check out my shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have a I'll have a link to all that shit, so it'll be easy yeah, to check so out. Just blow to cat, catwithak.com. Just <laughs> check out my shit, click the link. Uh, this is going to be an audio file, so there's no link to click. Uh, no, what's this, uh, there, what's this podcast called? It, <laughs> It's called it's called Creative Weirdos. Okay, cool. So, That's yeah, us. It, it, it fits. It fits. Um, awesome, dude. Well, thank you so much for taking time and yeah, hanging no, out here. You. I'll uh, I'll get you on my podcast as soon as I figure out. Is this is this Zencaster thing you're using? Is this free? 
Oh yeah, super free, dude. Whoa. I I paid I paid nothing. So why the other thing that I, I told you earlier, I started the podcast because I put a Patreon up for the comics that I was doing, and people seemed to like to sign up, and I felt bad because I wanted to give them more stuff. So I was like, I'll do a podcast, maybe. I so I don't watch TV. I listen to nothing but like silly, stupid podcasts, and then paranormal podcasts. I've been super into weird stuff what, what these do you days. Do with your podcast? Do you have some site you're just like here's my podcast this is on the streamers At, like it's I don't know on it's, it's dude it's so easy now you that's what i was a guy who owns a record label would understand digital streaming let me tell you i don't <laughs> uh, i love it servo dude so they've made it dummy proof at this point which is why i started it so anchor.com you just sign up for that for free and they put your podcast in apple spotify like all the big ones that people listen to but pretty what much about my royalties oh so, <laughs> so those come with listeners unfortunately um uh, yeah out. yeah yeah no you you got as far as making money off a podcast that's something i don't know about that's a, that's a whole nother whole nother world i uh i'm lucky to have the couple hundred people that listen to this thing and How i don't really do so I don't know, to be honest with you. I think it's because I talk to people that other people like. To be to be completely honest, like okay. I, I really like the. So you're this is the least um, uh, paranormal based conversation I've had on this podcast. So like we've been talking the least paranormal based conversations I've ever had too. So so that's perfect. It makes. <laughs> Dude, pretty much, I think uh, the the little community that I've so and the reason this is funny because I, I it didn't come up earlier, but like so I started doing this po- interview section of the podcast to talk to a lot of people that I listen to on like paranormal podcasts and stuff because I think there's a giant connection between art, creativity, music, and paranormal stuff. I think like without getting uh too far into it like all that shit that like you can experience from going to a show or like writing a song or all like you're touching something that a lot of experiencers whether it's ufo or like people that are haunted they talk about very similar experiences that you can you can kind of capture through creative endeavors and stuff so I kind of wanted to talk to people that are way smarter than I am in the paranormal realm and be like, what do you think? Like everybody I talk to that is a creative really likes like weird ghost stories and, and you know, is into weird paranormal stuff. And everybody that I talk to in the paranormal world, it has a punk background. They came up in the DIY scene. They got into this via comic books or like very similar themes like the Simpsons and Treehouse of Horrors or scary stories that tell in the dark or goosebumps or these things that are very cultural touchstones that like people clung on to. So I got to talk to a lot of people that are a lot smarter than I am. And I think that uh, those people are why the other people listen at this point is what I was getting at. But but yeah, I mean, there's definitely... um, They made it really easy. That's the other reason I was able to start. So you can just get an account at anchor.com and they make it so... If you want to start a podcast, Servo, I will help you set it up. It's the least I could do after you have taken the time to put out our records. Okay, uh... (laughs) I guess my my big question is, what's my podcast called? Ooh, oh. all right. Now you put me on the spot, man. I'm not good at this. <laughs> right. I'm gonna go eat some lunch. I'm gonna close this window. It's been really fun. Don't talking close to you. it yet. 
don't close okay. it because it okay. won't record. I'm going to hit okay. stop. It's going to stop recording. And I'm going to tell you. Okay.